Amen. If you have your Bible tonight, we're turning to the book of Mark, chapter number 10. Mark, chapter number 10. I'll be honest with you, I've studied and studied and started to go in a different direction tonight and didn't have liberty to go. I feel like the Lord wanted me to be true to staying verse by verse in the book of Mark. And these are difficult verses. And you'll understand why sometimes as a preacher and you're getting difficult verses and you're like, ooh, I don't know if this is going to encourage many people. But then you start praying about it and you realize that it's never been up to me to start with. God knows what we need and when. So this, I believe, would be ordered by the Lord tonight. Mark chapter 10, verse 35, if you have your Bible. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him saying, Master, we would that thou do, that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we shall desire. How, let me just, can I make a comment? How childish. It's like a child going up to their daddy or their mama and saying, Mama, Daddy, would you do for me whatever I say, whatever I want? They didn't even name what it was. They just said, would you say yes to whatever I want? How childish, right? We've done that before, amen. And here's his two disciples, James and John, pulling up close to him and saying, Master, we, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, what would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, we can. Wow. And Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized, with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. Now, we may go a little further. These are hard verses, but I want to preach on this thought tonight, Mark chapter 10, verses 35, and maybe we'll get down through 45, on the desire for greatness. It seems like we live in a, in a society that is narcissistic. It is uh, preoccupied with self. We are obsessed with self-love, and we are obsessed with self-focus. Many believe that the greatest commandment is love yourself with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your strength. A selfish society is one that's uh, comprised of people that are interested in the adoration and the promotion of self. It's amazing. We, we see our reflection and we're so enamored with ourself, we can't put it down. 
In fact, we want everybody else to see us, so we post, 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 post our pictures, thinking that everybody wants to see me. Amen. We are a society that is self-absorbed. We have become a world <laughs> consumed with the cult of self. I told you I was going to like it. Many of us are charter members in the cult of self. This, this self-absorption is not new. I just read it to you in the Bible. But it is seemingly getting worse. You may say, preacher, during this Wednesday night, none of us have this desire for greatness. If you're a human, you have pride living inside you, and it wants you or your little girl or your little boy, it wants you to be best. Hold your place here. We're just going to turn back to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. Help me, Jesus. Matthew chapter 20, and let's look in verse number 20. This is a parallel passage to what's going on in the book of Mark. Here's James and John coming to Jesus with this self-absorption. Wonder where they got it. I mean, these two men are the sons of thunder. You know, oftentimes my children... Their, their, their brother and sister, they have some, some of the same tendencies, but they also have two totally different personality dynamics. But these two boys are very much alike. Look with me in verse 20 of Matthew 20. I want to take time to get you there. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons. You know who they are? James and John. Worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left in my kingdom. You know where those boys got it from? Got it from their mama. Because she wanted her youngins to be the greatest. And they want to be the greatest. And listen, there's nothing wrong with encouraging your children Praise God for it. But I'm telling you, you desire to get your leg up on everybody else is a problem. Let's look at the scriptures tonight and see if it bears witness with something in our hearts. Number one, we're going back to Mark. Number one, we see the selfish request. What was it? Jesus and his disciples are journeying towards Jerusalem. You remember Jesus knows his crucifixion is just days away. That's why he's going to Jerusalem. And he, he told them that the, the Son of Man, if you look in the preceding verses uh, uh, in, in Mark 10, he said, the Son of Man, verse 33, shall be delivered to the chief priests unto the scribes. They shall condemn him to death, shall deliver him to the Gentiles. They shall mock him, they shall scourge him, shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Such astounding truth. He's revealed to them, and the first thing they said is, Master, we would that thou shouldest grant unto us whatsoever we desire. We want to sit on your left and on, on your right and on your left. It's just like it just flew right over their head. 
It's just this selfish request. And, and this idea of self is not something new as I mentioned. Did you know there are, oh, I'll probably get an email about this. There are churches that have this dynamic in play in every service. I call it the name it and claim it bunch. At one time I was out, I had a terrible headache, an optic migraine, couldn't see out of my left eyes, need to take uh, some medication for it. I told my wife, I asked my wife, I said, could you give me some Advil? I'm losing my vision, my left side, I'm getting halos. If you give me some, some Advil or something, it'd be a blessing. And somebody said, I just rebuked that in the name of Jesus. I went, what? You just say it and God does it and that's the end of it. You don't need Advil. She got mad at me because I asked my wife for Advil because she thought you just name it and claim it and it's yours. But according to my Bible, those two boys was getting ready to name it and to claim it and they got denied it. Do y'all see that? Do y'all see that? I may have made somebody mad, but I'm just telling you the prosperity gospel is not really scriptural, amen? So when they come up with this selfish request, Jesus said again in verse 36, what would you that I should do for you? Grant us that we sit on your right and on your left. So they want to be seated by the Lord when he assumes his throne in glory. We know the one on the right hand would be considered second in rank, and the one on the left hand would be considered third in rank. These boys are wanting honor. They're wanting prominence. prominence. They're wanting power. They're wanting authority. They're desiring to be the greatest. What motivated them? Well, it's more than just their mama. He's told them about his rejection. He's told them about his suffering. He's told them about his death. And then they asked to be on the right and the left side of his glory because here's what they, you may say, well, preacher Darren, they got faith that he's going to have his glory. Well, if we turn to another parallel passage, we get a little bit of insight. Matthew chapter 19, look what Jesus told them. Matthew chapter 19. Th their problem is they, they hear what Jesus says, but they oftentimes have selective hearing. Do y'all have that in your home? We, we pick and choose what we want to hear, and then we just dumb down the other part, or we act like it was never said at all. I mean, you remember the lady, she went to see the doctor. Well, she told her husband, she said, we need to take you to the doctor because you're, you're not hearing. I ask you what you want for breakfast. I ask you, and, and you just won't hear me. And finally, he would not go to the doctor. He refused. And so she said, I'm going for you. I'm going to talk to the doctor about your condition, and we're going to get you another appointment, or we're going to get you a diagnosis. So she went to see the doctor. She told the doctor what he was doing. She said, how can I better diagnose it? He says, you need to get in a long, square hallway, and you get at one end of the hallway and him at the other, and when he finally picks up what you're saying, tell me how many feet he is away. I mean, is he 20 feet? Is he 10 feet? Is he five? She said, I'll do that. The next morning they got up. She was standing at the kitchen. He's down at the end of the hallway coming out of the living room to headed towards the kitchen. And she says, Harold, what do you want for breakfast? He got closer. Harold, what do you want for breakfast? He got closer, about three or four feet away. Harold, what do you want for breakfast? He said, for the third time, Ethel, I said, I want bacon and eggs. <laughs> you see, it's not Harold that's got the hearing problem. Amen. Now, we've turned to Matthew 19 to see a parallel passage. Look with me in verse number 28. Look what Jesus said to him. 
Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Oh, Jesus said in his glory, in the regeneration, they will be thrones for them to sit upon. So they're not completely wrong in their thinking. They just decide they want to get a leg up on the other ten. They want to be on the right hand and on the left hand side. But they had selective hearing in. It was in the regeneration. In other words, between where they are and in the regeneration, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be a price to pay. They didn't want to hear the part about suffering. They didn't want to hear the part about hardship and difficulties. All they wanted to bask in was the glory. Oftentimes, we as Christians, we, we just want to bask in the glory, but we lose reality to know that if you're going to get a crown, you're going to have to bear a cross. I got very few amens. Let it be, let it be heard tonight. Very few amens when I said that, but it's the truth. We don't like the cross part, but we like the crowns. Amen? So we go back to Mark. Now these guys, these disciples are oftentimes jockeying for position. We read it in Mark 9, uh, verse 34. They had a disputation amongst themselves about who should be the greatest. They're oftentimes arguing back and forth as to who's going to be the greatest. And I'm telling you, the minute Jesus said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, them boys said, ooh, if we're going to get those positions, we better get it now. We'll be in charge while he's gone. Something to be said about that right there. You see, their ambition for greatness caused them to disregard the cross. Do you know how many of our churches nowadays are disregarding the cross of Christ? They, they say, oh, it's just baptism for salvation. It's just, listen, I'm telling you, Jesus suffered the cross, the shame, the suffering, the, the giving his life on the cross that we might have salvation and I'm telling you, if we glory church in anything, we don't glory in a crown, we glory in a cross. Jesus bore the cross for my salvation. He didn't bear a crown for my salvation. He shed his blood for my salvation. And oftentimes we want to overlook that. Jesus told them, didn't he? I mean, think about this cross thing. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and let him take up his cross. And follow me. Jesus oftentimes spoke of the cross and they want to forsake the cross for self-promotion. It is a selfish request. Now, number two, we're back to Mark chapter 10. Jesus gives them a stinging reproof. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, you know not what you ask. These disciples have no idea of the cost or the price of their request. And they did not understand what was required of them to meet the criteria to sit on his right and to sit on his left. And I think we too are very naive sometimes in our Christian walk. We, we, and, and I do it too. We pray about something and when it doesn't happen, we say, I just don't understand why it's been such a struggle. I don't understand why God just does doesn't move and give me that or do that for me and I just don't understand it. But really, we didn't understand the price and the cost. If he would have given us that, 
it would have been something that might have been much worse for us than him just saying, just hold off now and wait on me and trust me. We have the same problem. Right now you're praying for healing and you're wondering, why doesn't my healing come? You're praying, let the church debt be paid off. Lord God, I prayed about it for 20 years, amen? And this little by little, it's a scratch and a clawing, but you know what? He comes through every single month, amen? And if we'll just trust him, amen, God will take care of things. But sometimes we just ask of the Lord things in prayer and we have no idea what we're really even asking him. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of? That cup. Now, a lot of things about the cup. We, we know there that it can be a good thing. Psalm 23, you know, about, about the cup there. So that's, that's a blessing. The cup can be a blessing. But this cup is representing the cup of suffering. Okay? And Jesus, not the disciples, Jesus was going to drink the cup of the dregs of our sin that bitter cup, but it also represents the suffering that he would have to go through upon the cross. What did he say? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now tonight to drink the cup, you would have to be willing to pick up the cup and to drink it. It's not... People don't just open your mouth and say, drink it, drink it, drink it, drink it. That's not how it's done. You pick up the cup and he willingly was actively obedient to what the father told him to do. Father, if there's any other way, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's the cup that Jesus is going to drink of. He said to them, can you drink of the cup of suffering that I'm going to drink of. You, you want to sit on my right and on my left? Well, I've got a throne here. You know why? Because I'm drinking of that cup. And if you're going to sit in those seats, you're going to have to also be partakers of that cup of suffering. He also said, listen, think about this cup of suffering. Will they be willing to suffer and endure the shame and the reproach of the cross following his resurrection? Will they be willing to suffer, maybe even have to give up their own lives for Jesus' sake? You see, they've not even considered what they've asked for, the cup of suffering. He goes on to say, can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? What is baptism? It is immersion. Jesus says, can you be immersed into death as I am, the depths of the suffering on the cross will cost me my life. It is to be drowning in sorrow. It is to be uh, flooded with overwhelming adversity and, and flooded with overwhelming pain. Are you willing, gentlemen, to drink of the cup of suffering? Are you willing to be baptized of the baptism I'm baptized with? Listen, if you're going to be baptized... That's what someone else, someone else would take you. When I got baptized, when I was 12 years old, I went down to the Hooper's Creek. It was in October. The, the water was really cold. And, and the man of God, Preacher Rhodes, he baptized me. I didn't baptize myself. If it was a past, he baptized me. You see, the Father's going to baptize Jesus into death. 
Jesus, are you willing to drink the cup of suffering? Are you willing to be obedient, drink the cup of suffering? Lay down your life for my sake? Are you willing to be baptized, allow the Father to baptize you into the immersion of your death? Verse 39, they said unto him, we can, we can. Maybe tonight, prayer request, preacher Darren. Prayer request not answer, prayer. You realize that he may know that you can't pay the price for that prayer request to be answered right now? Just wait on him. Trust him. I'm pretty sure that he knows what's best better than I do. Amen? I just, again, verse 39, I am shocked by their naive commitment. And we do the same thing. They, they have no idea what awaits them. You see, they are filled with brash confidence. They are filled with pride. Oh, yes, we can. We can handle it. I'm just telling you that's their pride speaking. We often, too, we have good intentions and we're willing to step forward and serve until tough times come. We're willing to say, I'm going to serve God until we get treated like a servant. You know how a servant gets treated? He gets ordered around. He gets told what to do. He has to work in some of the worst circumstances there are. We think we're going to be serve God and it's going to be glorious. And everybody's going to applaud and say, woo! That's not what a servant is. We need to realize that, amen. Everybody wants to serve till they get treated like one, amen. We must understand if you're going to gain, it's going to cause some pain. They don't have a martyr's complex, but it's reality. If you're going to get a crown, you're going to have to carry the cross. That's what Jesus has just told them. We can. And Jesus said unto them, what's this? You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized, with all shall you be baptized. Number three. The sovereign response. Jesus, I believe he's sovereign. We heard Brother Caleb preach Sunday night. What a great message. Wow. The sovereignty of God. Wow, what a great message. What a blessing that was to my soul. Now, and in, in, in Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus says, I and my Father, we are one. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Amen. Jesus is God and he gives a sovereign response and he says, you shall indeed drink of the cup. You will suffer. You, you will be baptized. You, you are going to have to lay down your life for my cause. James and John. What happened to those two boys? James was the first apostle to be put to death. It's in the book of Acts. We don't need to turn there, but chapter 12, verse number 2. Herod chopped off James's head. Now, if it had been me or you, you probably would have got Simon Peter first. You would have thought he's the spokesmodel for the group. But James, the son of thunder, was the first one to have to give up his life. The last one to die of the disciples was John. Oh, preacher Darren, he's the last one. He had it a lot easier. You have no idea. You study John's life, he suffered longer and more than any of the rest of them. Diocletian, the Roman emperor, put John, Apostle John, in a burning cauldron of oil. And it didn't kill him. He probably had some 
burn scars on his body. Don't you know he was in a lot of pain? He was, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos for the cause of Christ. He, oh, Lord have mercy, he had to pastor a church for a long time. That could be a hardship on some people, amen. I'm just telling you, amen, uh, that John was the last one to die and he suffered probably more than any of the other ones did. Jesus said in verse 40, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. It's not preacher Derek. No, it's up to the Father. It shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. The positions that James and John want, that they desire, that they want to be rewarded for their pride, they want to be rewarded for their ambition, those seats are going to be filled by the sovereign will of Almighty God. You ever heard of the last shall be first and the first shall be last? I wouldn't be surprised if it's some one that really is going to shock us all, man. That's the one that's going to be there. But again, I think about, I think about the fact that Jesus, when he died, he died on a cross, and on his left side and his right side were two thieves. And I wonder if these men, James and John's mother, who had come worshiping, she was also at the cross when Jesus died. I wonder if when she was bound there with Jesus' mother and his disciple John, I wonder if she looked up and saw Boy, I'm glad I didn't get my prayer request answered. Right? I'm glad I got my boys here on this earth a little bit longer because they would, that's, that's, his, that's his left and, that, that's his left and his right. There's, there's, that's, oh boy. Fourthly, we're going to go a little further. Verse 41. I want you to see the stirring reaction. When the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. So the other ten disciples, when, when James and John made this request, the other ten disciples heard it. And they were filled with indignation against those two. You know, you, you know why they were mad at them? Because James and John got there first and they wanted the same things for themselves. All of them had been jockeying for who should be the greatest. Again, you can look at Mark. If you don't believe, look Mark 9, 34. Turn back one chapter. Mark 9, look at verse 34. Jesus is walking with them there. He says, why are you disputing amongst yourselves by the way? Verse 34, but they held their peace. Nobody spoke a word. Nobody said nothing. And then nobody said nothing, but he knew because they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he has this problem out of these boys time and time again. If you want honor, if you want glory, you better be preparing yourself to suffer. Jesus was willing to suffer, amen. He was willing to be, he was willing to be last that we might be first, amen. Now let's think about it. It may come, it may come in our day, let's go back to Mark 10, but it may come in our day that we're gonna have to suffer to worship. Preacher Darren, I just don't think so. Well, we can go back just a couple years ago to COVID. And there was a lot of hardships with people who tried to gather in churches uh, that were trying to go over governor's rules and all this stuff. And man, they were going to have to do some suffering if they were going to worship. Maybe it's a test model to see what's going to happen one of these days if they just say, let's close it down. They stop these churches. They're, they're, they're trying to speak against every ambition, everything we're wanting to do. 
We may have to suffer to worship. We may have to suffer to preach. You may have to suffer to pray. Daniel did. When Daniel prayed, he threw it open the window and he got arrested and thrown in the lion's den because he was praying. It, it, it may feel like, well, preacher Darren, I'm suffering because you heard me preach more than 30 minutes. Oh, I'm suffering so bad tonight. He held us 45 minutes. It like killed me. I'm going to read a verse of scripture. In Isaiah chapter 48. Just suffer with me a little longer. Amen. Isaiah 48, let's look at verse number 10. Isaiah 48, 10. And we're talking now about the stirring reaction of these men. Verse 10. Jesus said, I want to read the end of the verse. Or, or God says, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. This is Isaiah. You know where God works in your life probably the greatest area? When you have affliction, when you have opposition, when you have adversity, when you have suffering, when you're going through hardship, when you're really carrying that cross, amen. He's chosen you in the furnace of affliction. Tonight, you may sit here and say, man, Preacher Darren, my health is not good. Uh, I got so many problems in my life. I, I'm just barely even hanging in this thing. I don't know what I'm going to do. Stop and realize God has chosen you in the middle of this suffering to suffer it for his glory. He chose you in the furnace. What's in the furnace? Ashes, embers. When the pressure's on and the, and the heat's turned up and, and there's fire and you're uncomfortable, God chose that for you. Think about Job. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We could go on and on and on. Think about Apostle Paul. God chose you in the furnace of affliction. You try to wonder now, I don't know why this is happening in my life because God chose this time for you. And he's going to bring you through. It's going to be okay. I promise you, amen. What's going on in your life? He's just setting you free. You feel like the world looks at you and says, man, they got so many problems. I'm just telling you, God's setting you free. God's trying to give you honor. God's trying to, trying to bless you in the middle of this affliction. There was a lady by the name of Karen Watson. She was a human um, uh, a missionary relief person that was in Iraq. Um, she was uh, shot and killed in Iraq for her faith. But before she left home, she gave her pastor an envelope. And she said, if I do not come home from Iraq, I want you to read this to my family and to my church. She wrote, you are reading this because I'm gone. She said a few private things to her family, and this is what she said to the people. She said to obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory is my reward. Woo! What a thought. Can I say it again? To obey is my objective. Is your objective to obey God? Or is your objective to become great for yourself? Is that your desire? That Elvis want to be blessed and highly favored and name and claim it. That's what I want for me. Or is your objective to obey God? To suffer was expected. Hey, 
Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. You're going to have suffering. If you're serving God, you're going to have hardships. Uh, that preacher that told you that everything's going to be tiptoeing through the tulips lied to you. Can I get a witness? There have been hardships and difficulties along life's way, and I expect there will be more. Dad had prayed with a little nurse there at the hospital, and she got right with the Lord. It was awesome. And the next night she came back and she said, well, I got right last night, but first thing, the devil's hit me right between the face. Dad said, expect it. Look, listen, if the devil's not bothering you, turn around. You must be going with him. But if you turn around, amen, he's going to give you problems. He's going to give you trouble, amen. You just got to know that. All right, number five. This is the last one. I want us to see the spiritual reality. Jesus just lays it on the line here. The spiritual reality. He, verse 42, he called them to him. He, he took all 12 of them. They're, they're, they're arguing. They're, they're, they're fussing. They're always doing this same old stuff, right? So he calls them. He says, we're going to have an executive meeting. He pulls them all together because they've been arguing and they've got a rift again. He called them to him and he said, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and their great ones exercise authority upon them. So he's talking, these are subpoints about the supremacy of the Gentiles. How do the Gentiles, the, the Romans, and, and we here tonight are Gentile dogs, okay? How do we exercise lordship? How do we exercise authority and dominion? How do we do it? By power? And by force. These disciples thought you got greatness through power. And there's, there, he's saying that's what the Gentiles do. Uh, the Roman occupation over the Jewish state here has showed us the power and the authority they have because they're over us. They, they're exercising lordship. They're exercising power and force. That's just common sense. That's just the human way. Jesus just said, you've seen this by the supremacy of the Gentiles. Verse 43, but so shall it not be among you. <laughs> he said, that's not the way. That, if, if, you, if you're a preacher and you think you're going to command your church, you're wrong. If you're a deacon board, you think you're going to line everybody, you're going to run your church as a deacon board, you're wrong. You, you think as a congregation you're going to up, you're wrong. I'm just telling you, it's not about lordship and power and authority. That's not God's way. If you see that going on, you might as well step back and say, something's wrong when somebody's trying to ramrod something. You just know right then, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. Something's wrong. There's a bell ringing. Something's wrong. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister. Oh, preacher, that's you. You're the minister. No, 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 no. Let's break the word down here. Let's, let's watch. Minister is a Greek word. Diakonos. It is a household servant. Diakonos. We get the word deacon from it. What is a deacon? He's not to ramrod the church. He's not to say, I put the preacher in and I take the preacher out. Honey, let me tell you something. If a deacon board put me in, a deacon board could take me out. I'm not propped up by a deacon board. God put me here. And God will tell me when it's time to do something different. That's the way it needs to be. This is a God thing. 
Nebuchadnezzar set up an image. If Nebuchadnezzar set up the image, amen, the image can go down because Nebuchadnezzar can't hold it up. But if God puts it up, it's going to stay until God says do something different. I believe that, amen. So the word, a, a minister, a household servant, you think, well, what is a household servant? It, it must be, uh, we went out to eat the other night and, and uh, we had people came up and said, what would you like to eat? What would you like to drink? And they went and got it, had it fixed, brought it to us. Would you like any more tea? Would you, would, 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 would you like something for dessert? Is there anything I can do for you? A servant, right? That's not a minister. That's, that's not a minister. It's not. You just said it was a household servant. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Y'all look at me. Over here to the side, there's somebody sitting over here. They're just watching around the room, watching around the room. And when we got up from our table, they come out with this little cart. And where I had wiped my face, my old slobber, and throw down my napkin, and I'd cut chicken parmesan, and, all my, and I got crumbs everywhere, they cleaned all that up. It's called a busboy. That is the minister. He's the busboy. He's not the one taking your necessary orders and making sure your, your tea glass is full. He's the one cleaning up your dirty mess. I want you to remember that. He's the one cleaning up your mess. When you go out to your tip, do you tip 10%, 15, 18, 20, 22, 25? Do you tip? I'll tell you one thing you're not doing. You're not tipping the busboy. And he's the one or she's the one who's really dealing with your mess. Diakonos. Who's going to be great is the one who's cleaning up the mess. Camp Zion, Percy Ray, great man of God. What a great leader. God took him off the scene. Time to get a new pastor, somebody to lead the camp. Oh, let's get Dr. This and Reverend so-and-so and everybody was, all the deacons said, this is what we're going to do. And God said, my choice is the man who's been running the fellowship hall Laying, fixing the food and cleaning up all everybody's mess. He hasn't missed most of the services that, during the day because he's over there working, managing kitchen, kitchen staff and taking care of everything. That's who I want to be the pastor. That's who I want to be the, the new head of Camp Zion, Earl J. Farley. And the deacon said, no, no. See, because he's not that guy that's front and center. He, he's not that guy that's so eloquent. He's not that guy that everybody's just paying attention to. He's the guy that's feeding and taking care of everybody. And you don't appreciate that, but, but you do you appreciate that guy's up here preaching. And I'm not taking, taking away from who the preacher is, but sometimes what you see is not what you think where the rewards are going to be. It's the one who's that prayer warrior that's behind this church that's getting the job done. There's where the rewards are going to be handed out, amen. I promise you, amen. There, if you look what he said, it's not about lordship and power and authority. He said, who's going to be great among you will be your minister. I gave you the word. Diakonos, verse 44. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest, oh, here's a new word. Didn't say whosoever of you be the minister. Whosoever of you be the, be the, the, the chiefest, the word is protos. 
It means first. If you want to be first, if you want to be ranked ahead of everybody else, if you're going to be the chiefest, you're going to be protus, you shall be the servant of all. Not minister, that's diakonos, servant, doulos. When I took Greek in college, the first word I learned was the word douloi, doulos. It is a servant. How can I say? How can I say this and not offend somebody? It is a servant who's owned by somebody. Can I say it like that and y'all understand what I'm saying? A doulos is a servant who is owned by another. Read it again. Whosoever of you will be the chiefest. If you'll be first in rank, you'll be the greatest, you will be the servant that's owned by another. Hey, got to thinking. I'm just a servant of God, but I'm owned by somebody. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Verse 45 will be done. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, we go back to Daniel. The Son of Man, he referred to himself as Son of Man more than anything else. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, unto but to minister. What does that mean? Minister, it means to be a servant. He said, he, he said, I didn't come for you to serve me. I came to serve you. I didn't come to fill up your tea glass. I came to clean up your mess. All them sins you got are laying there on the table. Oh, God, God. All them sins that's filled your heart and your life. I've come, amen, to take your sins away. I've come to clean your life. I came to give you a new life. I came to let you go to heaven. I didn't come for you to minister to me. I came to minister to you. When the disciples went into the upper room for the last supper, pop test, what did Jesus do? He washed their feet when they came in. Those boys came in arguing this same argument. Who's the greatest? Who's going to be first? Who's, which one of us is going to sit at this supper on his left and on his right? They're arguing about it. And he's washing their feet. The servants, I'm just going to try to clean y'all up. Woo what about that? Mm. Mm -mm -mm. You got your Bibles? Let's just look at something here. Let, let's go over here. Luke 22. We're coming back to this. Luke 22. God, give me a little thought right there. Luke 22. Help me find the verse, Jesus. Luke 22, okay? Luke 22. You can look at verse 19. He took the bread, gave thanks. If, if you see that, say amen. It's important that you see this. They're in the upper room. Jesus has washed their feet because they're, 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 they've been traveling. They're dirty, but they're also sinful. And he's trying to teach them spiritual truth. He took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. This do, like, like, this do ye in remembrance of me. Likewise, also, after the, also the cup after supper, saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Look at verse 24. Do you see it? And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. What about that? Them boys is even arguing in the upper room which one of them would be the greatest. After their feet were washed. After 
the message is preached to you and you've been warned and told the danger of pride and getting yourself lifted up and trying to make sure that your family is the chiefest at Bethel. And you say, no, I'm not doing that. In your heart, you'll go right back to it. They did. They did. Now, let's go back to our text. Let's finish. We're back in Mark 10. I'm finishing up. We're, we're around in third base. We're coming home. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, amen, comma, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve and clean up our mess, and he came to give his life a ransom. A ransom for anyone who would call upon him. Oh, preacher Dan, it's just a select few. God bonks these on the head and they're saved. And God says, nope, you can't. No, no, no. It's your choice. I'll go back to the book of Ruth. Boaz took the kinsman. He had that shoe that her near kinsman had. And he said, I want to let everybody know that I am purchasing the fields, the, 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 the lands of Elimelech, Naomi, everything that belonged to Malon and Chilion, the entire family that left Bethlehem, Judah, and went down to Moab to sojourn. I am purchasing it all. And in doing so, I'm also purchasing Ruth to be my wife. He purchased everything. If you read the scripture, had Orpah, you remember Orpah, her sister-in-law? Had Orpah, who kissed her mother-in-law and stayed in Moab, had Orpah come back? Boaz would have redeemed her field. It was redeemed. He paid the price. But she made a choice. I'm staying in Moab. I don't want to go to Bethlehem, Judah. The price was still paid. She made her own choice to stay. That'll blow some theologies about bumping them on the head, some and rejecting others, amen. I'm just telling you, he gave his life a ransom for many to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you want to be great? The desire for greatness, the title of the message? Prepare for suffering. Prepare for, pre pre prepare for those things in your mind if you want to be great. You want to be a servant of God? Be prepared to be treated like one. You, you, you want to, preacher Dan, I'm pretty sure I can't be the bus boy, but, but I, could be, I could be that slave that's owned by another, that, that doulos, that douloi. I could be that, preacher Dan. I am that, that servant who is owned by another. I can be that, amen. There's a church in New Mexico. I've thought about this many times. There's a church in New Mexico that's got a sign over their front door. This is what it says. Servant's entrance. A lot of times you go to these big fancy places and you got places, a nice door and everybody for their customers to come in and you know they got the red carpet out and man they're just wilding and dining them, getting them in there and getting them to buy $50 steaks and $100 steaks. And, but the servants, they don't come in that door. The servants come in another entrance. It's on the back. Listen, it's on the back side of the building down in the basement. They come in. It's a little bit narrow passage. There's the windows down there. They just come in because they're the servants that's coming in to work. They've got work to do. They, they report to the company. Hey, when you come to Bethel, it ought to be over the doors of this church. 
This is the servant's entrance. I'm going in there and I'm not my own. I'm owned by another. And I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there for my glory. I'm going in there to give him glory. Amen. Hallelujah. You stand to your feet. I'm done. Father, thank you for the word of God, for the challenge of the text. Father, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to lay it to heart. Help us, God, I pray tonight, Father, to, to receive your engrafted word and receive the help that we so need. Lord, I love you. Thank you for this opportunity to gather in your house and study your word. And we ask your blessing, Father, upon the church, upon people who are lost, that you might save them before it's everlasting too late. Bless our enemies, God, I pray. Bless those who persecute. Bless those who curse us. Help us, God, I pray, Lord. If our prayer requests have not been answered in the way we see fit, help us, God, to be thankful anyway and say, God, you're keeping something off of me and I need to praise you for what I don't know, but I'm praising you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name I ask it all. Amen.